also got a couple of quick rando things to mention while I'm still thinking about them before I forget. Rando thing number one is uh, I just finished um, the latest Thought Bubble, Driving Home. Loved it. Love all of the Thought Bubbles. You guys are great. And you got to tell me what that off-air uh, thing was about Batman v Superman because I already think that thing is going to be way fucking overstuffed. And if there's another thing, I, I got to know. Uh, also podcast related. Um, I did not watch the Super Bowl at all. I was not aware of any of the ads. And now thanks to this one and the other fighting in the war I listened to, I can't stop saying puppy monkey baby. I, I was like driving, I was driving and the podcast ended and there was, uh, there was no sound in my car and I just caught myself just going puppy monkey baby. Puppy monkey baby. I can't stop. I also may be a little bit loopy at this point. I don't think I've been sleeping well lately. Whatever. I'm charming when I'm loopy. You love it. Everybody loves it. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Thought Bubble. It's Wednesday, February 17th. This is issue number 35 and we are living in a post-Deadpool world. How are you? In, <laughs> in so many different ways that we were not anticipating when we last talked. <laughs> We did not know Deadpool was going to rock the world the way it did. Uh, Dave and I have both seen the film at this point. I'm actually planning to go see it again this weekend. So that's my that's an early spoiler for whether or not I liked it. Uh, but before we get into that, we're going to talk about Deadpool aplenty. But we have a few other things we want to get to, including a lot of great emails that we got this week. So thank you so much. Um, I'm going to start with a quick Twitter prompt, though. This is usually something that the Mothership Podcast Fighting the War Room does. Uh, but we got a, a great tweet today from at Dr. Det Fink, uh, which asked which which songs – is it which song do we want to kick off Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or just which song do we want to hear? Which songs do you want included? Okay. So it doesn't have to be the opening song. It could be any song. But, you know, today was a day of, of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 news, which we will get to in a second. But first of all, for the awesome mixtape volume 2, what song do you, Dave, want to hear on there? I want Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer, which apparently might cause some timeline issues if we debate this later about what the tape's actually going to contain this awesome mix volume 2. But I, I just want it because I want that. I want, I want that movie start that way, like them enforcing law with the Nova Corp being our sledgehammer. Oh, I like that. Uh, my pick is actually something that was originally was supposed to be on Volume One, which is ELO or Electric Light Orchestra's "Living Thing" or "Living Thing," uh, which is from 1976, and I think. There are few bands that are better on a soundtrack than ELO. If you think back to that Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind trailer and um, Mr. Blue Sky uh, playing and all of that, or, you know, all of Xanadu, <laughs> you have to give a lot of love to ELO. So I would love to see some of that on there. But yeah, Dave and I were talking off air about when we think Star-Lord's mom made this mix volume two. And whether or not she would have stuck with the 70s theme of Volume 1 or gone a little bit more Peter Gabriel contemporary like Dave wants. So that's a question. So if you want to tweet us at Dave with a 7 or at Joe wrote this or email us, bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com, your pick for what should be on Guardians of the Galaxy mixtape Volume 2 uh, and whether or not you think it should be 70s or 80s music. Uh, please do let us know. I will definitely start backlogging it so we don't have to go back to, you know, Puppy Monkey Baby as much as I thought we would please, for upcoming issues. Please, world, save me. 
come up with some sweet, sweet 70s tunes to save me from Puppy Monkey Baby, please. Um, all right. So while we're on the subject of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, James Gunn has, you know, for actually, I don't know, I think, what, two weeks now, there have been some uh, photos of the cast gathering back together to start shooting. But uh, James Gunn made a big announcement on Facebook today, which is that he confirmed I mean, this is a stupid news cycle we live in because we all pretty much knew that Kurt Russell's in the movie, but he officially confirmed that Kurt Russell's in the movie. Also, um, Elizabeth Debicki, uh, or Debicki, who is even more exciting to me, and two other people whose names I don't have on my fingertip right now. Pum? Something or other. If I knew I had to look it up, I'd be on Marvel.com. Clementife? I believe it's how you pronounce her last name, Palm Clementife. And then Chris something who's on um, apparently The Nick, but I've never watched The Nick, so I don't know who this guy is. But he's a large bearded man. So um, these usually are... Usually bearded. Usually, yes. <laughs> Not perma bearded, usually bearded. So these are these are our new official cast members. Uh, I think we are all still assuming that Kurt Russell is playing Chris Pratt's father. We know that Palm uh, Clementine is playing Mantis, and we don't know about the other two, do we, Dave? No, we don't. We have no idea. Okay, that's more of an abrupt answer than I expected. Oh, I thought that's what you were said. Like I was setting you up for something. Oh no. Okay, we did not rehearse this. Uh, <laughs> my my speculation. Uh, which Dave says is not completely insane, is that uh, Elizabeth Debicki might be uh, our villain in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And that's based, as Dave pointed out, mostly on the fact that she was such a great villain in Man from Uncle that maybe she would be hired to be a villain again. But also because James Gunn, you know, has has spoken several times on increasing uh, female representation in Guardians of the Galaxy since there's only Gamora on the team. Yes, there's Glenn Close. Yes, there's Karen Gillan. But in terms of the team, it's like a sausage fest plus Zoe Saldana. So in theory, we're going to have Mantis maybe on the team with them. Um, But he also said he wanted female villains. And so uh, that's my theory. Dave? Yeah, I mean, that's close. I'm trying to feel out Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't have anything that I would call, like, insider plot info. So I'm just trying to, like, context clue it out. And, like, if we know it's not going to be a movie that has anything to do with the leftover Infinity Stones or Thanos. And so we're kind of left with these other elements. We know that uh, James Gunn has said he's interested in uh, sort of further exploring like the core Guardians characters. So that kind of makes me feel like a conflict with the dad could be like one of our many thrusts of villainy. Uh, I like the rumor that uh, Ego the Living Planet is going to show up. That would also be a possible villain. Um Maybe, you know, Chris Sullivan with a beard looks like Ego the Living Planet. I don't know. I don't know what his voice sounds like because I also have not watched The Nick or The Drop, which apparently he is also in. Um, uh, and then Elizabeth Debicki. I, th- I just, I like the idea of the Cree Empire sort of showing up because that gives us a gateway to both the Inhumans and Captain Marvel in the future. So if she were to be, I think there's a way for her to be an antagonistic force, but not a straight enemy and not Captain Marvel, but maybe part of the Captain Marvel legacy in like a cool way. Because uh, both of the the, Mar- the Marvels and the Inhumans come out of the Kree, which have thus far been ghettoized and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on TV. But eventually after the Infinity War comes, we're going to have to be you know ready for this insane sort of royalty and human concept so it would make sense if you were going to expand the marvel universe this would be the place to do it and the kree empire would like play a part excellent so that's dave's uh early sussing out without major insider information about guardians of the galaxy volume two yeah yep great dave also is- like tiny groot <laughs> How, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiny Groot. The the first official photo is over on James Gunn's Facebook page if you haven't seen it floating around the internet yet. So it's there. Uh, okay, so our first email that I want to read comes from 
uh, a listener, Luke. Luke's last name is Jordan, I believe. He's a longtime listener. And it's a follow-up on our discussion we had last week about Latino superheroes. And he wrote, I know this episode will likely focus on the implications of Deadpool. Ha ha! No, we have range. Uh, but <laughs> I just want to address the lack of Latino superheroes issue from last week by reiterating my belief that DC has majorly wasted an opportunity to have a Miss Marvel-esque breakout with Jamie Reyes' Blue Beetle. His first post-Infinite Crisis series is a fun, family-focused cult favorite, and while there have been attempts to bring him in the screen in cartoons and Smallville, the New 52 series was a nothing book, and it's beyond me why he hasn't been hinted at for Legends or Flash. He totally fit perfectly. I believe Brandon Routh's Adam was originally supposed to be the Ted Cord uh, BB, which could have a uh, Blue Beetle, which could have led down the line to Jamie. But was kiboshed by by the WB, right? It's actually oh by Warner Bros. Yeah, I guess. And there's talk of a Blue Beetle slash Booster Gold buddy movie, which I think we will get more momentum post success of Deadpool, and inevitable at this point uh, underperforming a Batman v Superman. But that'd again be Cord, not Reyes. Anyway, Giffen Rogers, creator of Leverage, Blue Beetle is great, and he should get the mainstream push. So, Dave, what if anything do you know about Blue Beetle, this character? Uh, I think he, uh, Luke correctly identifies him as sort of like being on hold for the Warner Brothers movie universe. So much like there can't be a Batman, there can't be a Superman, there can't be a Blue Beetle on Legends or Flash. Um, We're starting to see like things like Jonah Hex obviously fell out of interest of them ever using for a movie again and fell into Legends. Um, But I don't think... Blue Beetle has been downgraded yet. And the whole, I think Booster Gold was also the whole rip part at some point could have been Booster Gold because I know he's a time traveler and would have added some levity to that show. So both of those characters pretty much are on hold by Warner Brothers until further notice. It would be fun to see them precipitate down, but uh, Luke brings up a good point that if uh, Batman v Superman underperforms, there might be a quick shuffle as to how they could reorient for the new superhero landscape because they sort of designed this one like after the Avengers and it was a little late. Uh, more on that later. More on Batman v Supes later. <laughs> <laughs> but to stay on the WB or the, the CW beat, um, I have another prompt for us. This is a prompt heavy. Uh, thought bubble episode and this is a this is a sort of a fun thought experiment i came up with last week okay fun your your mileage may vary about fun but i was wondering if you were forced to pick an all-star team from the three cw shows which is legends of tomorrow arrow and the flash if you were forced to create a super team of eight characters and you had to pick two from each at least two from each show who would survive and who would you get rid of? This was inspired by me watching Arrow and being like, God, if I don't ever get another Laurel scene, I'll be happy. Or watching Legends and thinking, God, if I just have these two characters and get rid of everyone else, I'll be happy. So, Dave, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I think you should go first because I'm going to do this off the fly because I think I I could I need to emotionally feel my way okay. through it, not logically. But you can't cheat like you tried to earlier. Okay. Well, you could call me on that then. Okay. Um, so in order of importance to me uh, are Cisco and Joe, our number one, number two seed. And then uh, it's uh, Captain Cold and White Canary. And then it is uh, Ollie and Felicity, which just really because I couldn't think of anyone else from Arrow that I wanted. And then Barry... And then Earth 2 Harry. So I got four Flash peeps, two Legends peeps, and two Arrow peeps on my team. And what's everyone your, else What's can the go purpose in. of your team? Oh, like, I mean, I, you know, they've got the Flash and, and Arrow on there. So, and White Canary, like, they'll still be able to be super. It's true. I have a lot of sidekicks on there. Um, but it's just, this is the show I'd most enjoy watching. This is the super-sized Scooby gang I would most enjoy following, I guess. Mm-hmm. The interactions, the dynamics, all of that. Well, it's interesting the directions that we take because I'm trying to form a team here, Joanna. And God bless Joe. He does not belong on a superhero team. Yeah, yeah, he does. Joe is the best. 
and everything <laughs> always. Uh, okay, I'm going to take Oliver and Felicity from Arrow. I'm going to take Barry for sure from The Flash. I'm going to take both halves of Firestorm because that character is pretty cool. And once they get past this whole like weird one half drugging the other all the time, it's gonna be it's gonna be much much better. Man, then like who's who's better for the rest of the team, right? We're gonna add Cisco in there because he's gonna he's gonna get some vibe powers that are gonna be pretty they're gonna be pretty sweet. This is like a you wanna... eugenics team. You're like no non supers allowed, only soups allowed. On oh your no, team. White Canary f- for sure. Okay, gotta gotta throw her in. Um, see, the thing is that you don't want anybody really like classic clashing with Felicity. You want her like on the earpiece, like, like doing things. So you don't want any more like mission control people. So I guess I'll throw Wentworth Miller, Cat- Captain Cold in there just for some, some flavor. So I think what we agree, though, is that, well, I mean, you added Firestorm and bless Victor Garber. I don't really like Firestorm that much, but... Do we agree that White Canary and Captain Cold are the best part of Legends of Tomorrow? And if it were just a series about the two of them getting into scrapes, it would be a stronger show? Yes. Like, kill all Hawk people, not just one Hawk person. All Hawk people, gone. Rory from Doctor Who, not doing it for me. Um, Heat Waves, fine. I guess. I think he's overdoing it with the voice, but he's fine. Anyway, I mean, and this is something we're going to talk about when it gets to Deadpool, but I just, it, it has a lot of the, there are too many heroes on the screen issue for me. Anytime they do a fight where a bunch of people are flying around, I'm not interested at all. I just check out. It's like anytime there's a fight on Arrow, you're like, this is not going to, I mean, they're either going to win or they're going to lose. There's going to be no character-based or emotional-based decisions in this fight. Laurel's going to do some screaming. You know, Thea's going to have her bloodlust kick up. Uh, it's quite boring to me at this point. So. Mm. No? <laughs> this no, no, does sound so snarky. I don't know. You're, you're, you're pretty much right. I'm still at the point with Legends that when they, like, actually break out into, like, the big fight of the episode, there's a little part of me that just sort of, like, giggles that this is all on television. Or, like, uh, you know, when Adam's, like... Well, the easiest solution is going to be to fly inside of her blood vessels and shoot apart the fragments of the ancient. I'm just like, yes. In the same way that, like, even slower episodes of season one of Flash at least had me laughing with, like, Silver Age joy. It's so comic booky, I'm giving a lot of it a pass that, like, I wouldn't give, like, a TV show a pass, probably. Yeah, I. I mean, I just predict that it will wear thin, that that will wear thin, and that the thing that will stay are like the heist elements. I said on Twitter last week, you know, I, I watched, I caught up last week and um, I think it's a lot of it has to do with Victor Garber, but also White Canary being so great in this role. But every heist um, scenario gives me this really strong alias vibe, which I love. Um, also Quantum Leap, also Doctor Who, you know, there are some good roots of shows. There's just way too much going on and they need to narrow their focus i think but i mean i like heists and then i like like one specific character story that everyone somehow gets involved in and i think that you could build a first season out of that and then sort of pause and see what worked and what didn't but like a lot of like their period stuff isn't working and i don't really care about vandal savage which i, I care so little about vandal savage and about the hawk people like i'm sorry the hawk people are so uninteresting to me but um i don't know the 70s stuff worked for me and yeah the no. hawk people stuff isn't going fast enough <laughs> well it's gonna have to last all season right like that's this is how the season is gonna end i mean she just has to like wake up and get mad i mean it's it's uh it's the man. It's the superhero manifestation of my number one sin, which is like the willful withholding of information from characters that should have access to it. Yeah. She should have access to all of her hawk powers. This shouldn't be an issue. Um, because so- it wasn't an issue for the first. Okay, not not important. Legends of Tomorrow is ongoing, and not what this episode's about. Well, Legends of Tomorrow, it's it is what this episode is about. Legends of Tomorrow is bumpy. 
And it could go in one direction and become a very strong show, or it could go in another and continue to be bumpy. So is my take. Um, I really liked the Flash 2, uh, um, the Flash Earth 2 second parter that we had this week as well. Um, who's who's in the, the mask? Yeah, that's the question, right? Yeah. Um, who do you think it is? Ooh, I think it's Eddie. That's what I've just decided. Oh, it's. I think it's either Eddie or uh, Earth One, Jay Garrick. Well, but like, yes, but we saw Earth One, Jay Garrick on a park bench in the time that the man in the Iron Mask has been in that lair, like since, right? Well, yeah, but his name... Oh. I know the tapping of Jay is like curious, right? Okay, but that was Harmon Zola. I forget what his name was, but his name was Zoom's identity in the comics. Oh, was Earth is, w- was Earth One Jay's Earth name? Earth One Jay's. Name. Yeah, I think that's why some people think Zoom is Earth One Jay. Right? Yeah, yeah, but we haven't seen Earth One Jay since. Uh, um, since we saw the guy in the park, but or like since we've seen the man in the mask in the thing with Barry. Yeah, but Jesse said he had been there since before she got there. Hmm. Fair enough. There's something about the way they framed the shot when they were talking about universes vibrating at different things that makes me think he's somebody from Earth One. Or maybe he's Earth Three J. So many J's. So many J's, so little time. All right. If you have a theory about who the man in the iron mask is on Flash. Uh, and why you can't talk. Yeah, this makes sense. Anyway. <laughs> e- email us. Bubble your thoughts at gmail.com. Uh, if your answer is Leonardo DiCaprio, you're wrong, but also right. So very right. Okay. We're going to talk about Batman v Superman before we get into all of our Deadpool talks. This is the last thing. We're going to talk about, Dave, what do you have to say about Batman v Superman that's going to make me, a Zack Snyder hater, very happy? Oh, I just heard from Drew McWeenie at HitFix on one of his video posts that uh, Warner Brothers is worried uh, about how Batman v Superman might perform now that they've been showing it to more people um, and that there might be a big course correction uh, after Wonder Woman's already shooting, so Wonder Woman's going to keep going as it is, and Suicide Squad's basically done, so Suicide Squad's going to stay as it is. But after that, apparently the DC Universe could be all up in the air. Um, and Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman and Suicide Squad are already too far into motion, right? Yes. Right. Did, yes. And But um, yeah, now everything that was supposed to start with Justice League Part 1 through like Aquaman and Cyborg and Justice League Part Two, uh, is all up in the air. Flash has always been kind of like shaky, but apparently, yeah, Warner Brothers is preparing to see how uh, Batman v Superman goes. But it needs to make like a billion dollars for like I don't know people to keep their jobs or something. All right, so Batman and v it's Superman crazy. could be. You don't think it's too big to fail? I feel like it's almost too big to fail. You don't think so? You think you could just steamroll a movie to a billion dollars this day and age? Just by having Batman and Superman in it? Isn't that what happened with Jurassic World? I enjoyed watching Jurassic World. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you were all alone in that. No, you weren't. A billion people agreed with you. That's right. Um, <laughs> I was sitting next to my girlfriend, and we had a lovely time at the movies. Java liked Jurassic World? We liked it when we walked out of it. Everybody else seems to be like, that's critical suicide, but I'm not, it doesn't change, it doesn't change how I felt walking out. I was like, hey, they like knew that they were doing the same thing as the first one. That's, that's kind of cool. And then, you know, the big, the big alligator thing ate the other thing. <laughs> All right. Um, but this is not a Jurassic World podcast. So uh, we're going to. Zoom over to some Deadpool themed Not emails. Yet. We should do a giant lizards podcast. <laughs> There's the Godzilla King Kong shared universe now. With Brie Larson in it for some yeah. reason. It's going to be sweet. All right. So our first email comes from uh, AJ from Richmond, California. 
And he said, hey, guys, I've never read any Deadpool comics, but saw the movie in a packed theater this Valentine's Day. I thought it was very funny and picked up on a lot of reference humor they used, but I noticed there was not as much laughter from the audience as I would have expected. I think only five people in the audience got the Faulty Towers references, but I feel that is not surprising. Were the jokes made in the movie standard for Deadpool comics, or was I a better audience for the jokes as a, th- as a 30-something nerd? Um, that's a good question. I saw it with I, – I was supposed to go see it with my friends on Friday, and I was sick. Uh, so I had to see it on Monday. I saw it Monday in like a v- nearly empty uh, theater. And I was sad because I wanted that packed theater experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I was there with, you know, a bunch of kids. Like I didn't know my town had this many kids, to be honest with you, because usually it's old people at the movie theater. Um, and they all the kids that were there, which was like 10 of them, they loved it. So I don't know. Dave, what do you think about the reference humor? Of Deadpool. Uh, I think it cast a wide net. So, like, it's, there's a lot of stuff that's about the comics. It's a lot of stuff that's about other superhero movies. There's a lot of just, like, straight bathroom humor. And then there's, like, move, jokes about 80s culture and whatnot. And I, so I think it cast a wide enough net that it hits something for everybody. My audience was the majority 17-year-olds on dates because yeah. they went on Friday night. And uh, they laughed a lot. Um, not always at the things that I was laughing at, but we're basically picking up every third joke the movie threw down. And the movie's constantly throwing down jokes, so that's yeah. If you get every third, laughter. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you get like a Hugh Jackman joke, but not a Faulty Towers reference, you know, you're still enjoying plenty of the movie. There was a guy sitting in front of me who was like a hardcore comics nerd. So he's the one that actually got like the Hydra Bob reference and stuff and was laughing and whispering to somebody next to him. Did you wish you were on a date with him? I was there by myself. The seats recline. They have like little tables in front. I was fine alone. Nice. Okay. Uh, We got a lengthy email from um, our old friend, Pat, who he has a bunch of questions. So I'm just going to sort of fire a few out there and we'll we'll respond one by one. Um, So his first question is, since you've discussed previously about the limitations of putting a mask on a character incurs, how effective did you feel the Deadpool's mask was in allowing Reynolds to emote or to generally reinforce his dialogue while masked? Uh, my wife felt that his eyes were being digitally manipulated to allow expressions. If the mask was effective, or at least not all that restrictive, is it because Deadpool in general is not a subtle character? Uh, feel free to challenge my assumptions. I'm just putting out topics for discussion. Okay, so I'm the one with the big problem uh, with masks on characters, as we've discussed Um I did not have a problem <laughs> with Deadpool being masked. I was actually thinking about this today. You know, this is far and away Ryan Reynolds' most successful movie. And it's like, you know, third time's a charm with Ryan Reynolds and the superhero movies. Or just any, you know, this is the movie that has most allowed Ryan Reynolds' knack for comedy to resonate with audiences. That's accurate, right? There's no, there's no arguing with that. Yeah. Uh, the box office confirms that. So, um, I'm wondering if Ryan Reynolds has always been too handsome, like too distractingly handsome to be as funny as he is. And if he's helped by the lumpy makeup and the mask to sort of just go full cartoon. That being said, anytime, whenever he was the most Jim Carrey, I didn't love it. Like in the sequence that was in the leaked footage, he did some pretty, you know, basically the ma- Jim Carrey's The Mask stuff that I didn't think was as interesting. And I also was fascinated by the eye holes. I was really, like, really distracted in a good way by the eye holes and how they were moving. Uh, Dave, your thoughts? Oh, yeah. The whole face works really well from how he breathes and when he gets mad, the cheeks sort of, like, expand with air and... Uh, the eyes are definitely expressive, but I like it. I don't know about the Brett Ryan Reynolds being too attractive because he's perfectly fine in every comedic movie he's been in. That is no, yeah. I think he's yeah. fine, and I like him. It's not like this is the first time I thought he's funny, but like, I don't know. Like, I'm just, he's been I'm, in some bad movies, but he's fine in them. I mean, Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place is a solid sitcom from the '90s or early yeah. aughts. But Van Van Wilder's great, but. I don't know. I'm I'm just trying to figure out what the comment what what the it factor is in 
allowing this to work for Ryan Reynolds in a way other things haven't. And this movie was so clearly sold on an ad campaign like that came so much from the star in a way that usually doesn't, right? Because Ryan Reynolds is a producer. This is a passion project for him. It makes it sound like a small indie film, which is obviously not. But, you know, his, you know, no doubt helped by a huge marketing team. But the way that he used social media and uh, that sort of thing to inject his own personality into promoting this film is, I, be- I believe, what really sold it for – or why it got such massive box office returns, right? And I don't know how much of that is because he did so much of it from behind a mask. I, like, there is there is a theory of pe- some people being too handsome to be considered funny. And I'm not saying handsome people can't be funny. I'm just saying I think sometimes people have a weird disconnect with it. Hmm. It's my own personal theory. It's fine if you don't agree. I mean, it's just I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure if this is an example of that or not. I'm not overall. I have no no immediate thoughts on the theory. It seems like a bizarre theory, but I, I guess I, I guess I could go for it. For for this, it just sort of seems like you took a character that had no preconceived notions except for a very small sect of people who are very passionate about it, and Ryan Reynolds put himself into that character to a point that the character started to become Ryan Reynolds and then introduced the audience as Ryan Reynolds, he gets the benefit of both being Ryan Reynolds and of being Deadpool. And the benefit of Deadpool with like his mask and his cartooniness is that it allows this movie to prolong its fun more than any other Fox uh, superhero franchise like does it still does sort of what Fox superhero franchises do which is you know live action beat to action beat and you know sort of you know stuff the reasons why the next one's coming in there or in this case flash just flashbacks so they don't have to do that but it 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 prolongs its fun longer than the X-Men movies do which sort of fall into lulls in between their their conflict action beats yeah I agree but I don't think it's like I don't think it's like a character building thing because I don't really care about the relationship that he has. I just acknowledge that it is a relationship and it's fun to watch. Okay. Um the second question from Pat is Deadpool's primary power other than sarcasm is to dramatically heal, which removes practically any chance of him being killed or seriously hurt. I've heard this referred to as a negative for the movie since the stakes are lower, but I'm not so sure that it's any different from any action movie where we assume the hero will make it out alive, even without a healing factor. Should we hold that against the movie or instead appreciate it as an explicit justification for the kind of otherwise inexplicable damage immunity slash immunity that action heroes implicitly have? Wolverine gets this as well, of course. Um, First of all, (laughs) we're we're about to head into a season of killing superheroes. I think I can say that without spoiling anything. Like, I won't name any. But some big superheroes are probably about to die. So that that question of, well, we expect our top line stars to make it through the movie alive is is going to go out the window a little bit um, in the upcoming months. But maybe not permanently because it's comic books. But that being said, I do I do like that. I mean, we I think you and I have talked before about whether or not the Fast and Furious movies are superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Um because those people just inflict insane damage and there's nothing wrong with them and they just get up and rebound and they basically are superheroes. Uh, so it is nice to see Deadpool's little baby hand grow back and, and sort of understand, you know, my, my question though, what's the name of um, Ed Screen's character? Is it Ajax? Yes. Or Fran- Francis, I guess. Um <laughs> There's a part at the end. By the way, I guess we should have said a while ago that the spoilers were Deadpool. Um, there's everybody's a, seen. It. <laughs> there's a part at the end when the I don't know whatever structure they're on is collapsing, and then France. It's a helicarrier. Oh, the helicarrier. Oh, okay, the helicarrier, the shield helicarrier. Well, the, the helicarrier. Okay. No one even says helicarrier, but it's a helicarrier. Okay, the helicarrier, the hella carrier that they're on, uh, collapses, and then like a storage, a shipping container, 
slams into Francis as he goes off. Here was my perception of Francis's superpower, and I'm just going to call him Francis because it annoys him, um, is that he has no nerve endings, but he doesn't have, like, you know, we see Angel sewing him up. He doesn't have super healing properties. So if he gets slammed with a storage container falling off of a helicarrier, he should not have been able to get up to have one last supervillain rebound fight, right? Hmm, you're probably right. Like, you know, he a lot this of is what this, we're worried about in Deadpool. I'm not. I'm just. I. It's one thing I thought about. Okay, but I'm fine with Deadpool being basically immortal. Uh, your thoughts, Dave? Um. Yeah, I don't think it's a huge deal about him being immortal. It's more what you do with it. So, like, the best thing that. Brian Singer ever did with Wolverine's healing factor is hurts every time when he, you know, pops out his claws for the first time because then you know, like, pain's a factor. Deadpool, not so much uh, because he got sort of, like, tortured into his healing factor anyway. It's not huge about pain. So what the movie's really good about doing is that just using the fact that he could take endless punishment as a source of, you know, humor, like when he fights Colossus, or as a method of, you know, like, escaping when he cuts off his hand. So the fact that he can heal, I think, thus far in the movies is something that Deadpool uses as, like, an asset, where Wolverine, it's like a side effect to whatever Wolverine's doing. He's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going, I'm the best there is at killing, and I'm going to go kill and do stealth and protect Jean Grey. But, like, the fact that he heals is just like, oh, good, Wolverine's still in it. Deadpool sort of like makes it his power just on screen thus far. Okay. Yeah. Um, what? Okay. This is a side question, not related to any email we got. Did, does it bug you at all? It doesn't bug me necessarily. Does it bug you at all that Marina Baccarin's character has superpowers or at least a character with her name as superpowers in the comics and is not empowered here uh no because she's kind of a bitch crazy character in the comics and i would much rather have the character that i got than have to deal with like i also have a latent mutant gene and i could copy people and i could be a copy of blank and i'm also going to go after every ex-girlfriend you've had as copies of you and beat them up as deadpool and it's like not it's not a place we need to go and it's a place they could still go in the future. So I'm kind of happy that the application of an actual love story to Deadpool for the first time took because that wasn't something I was expecting. Um, okay, so this this dovetails into a tweet we got earlier today from at Ms. Bitka, which is a reference I like a lot, M-Z-B-I-T-C-A. And um, she asked what the benefits slash costs of the ensemble movies versus the standalone one-off movies are. What I'll say is in that big fight, I mean, uh, the negative of an ensemble movie, in my opinion, is the negative of the TV show Legends of Tomorrow. When you have the ultimate showdown in Ultron, even though you try to put personal stakes in there, like, oh, my God, is Hawkeye going to live? And, oh, no, Scarlet Witch is really sad. All of that. It still is, is just too many superheroes running around doing things. But when you narrow the field a little bit, as you did in this movie, when you've got um, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Angel colossus deadpool francis and vanessa fighting i loved that fight i really really loved that fight i felt like it was just the right amount of superpowers clashing and superpowers um you know with with a few disposable mercenaries in in the mix as well and it made me sort of dread seeing more event seeing two teams of avengers go at each other in captain america civil war like i don't really want to see that and and it mm. and it felt like there were emotional stakes like less so for colossus and negasonic teenage warhead but you know there was so much emotion and character development in that fight to me um what do you think dave uh, yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a sign that the 20th Century Fox movies have to move away from making every movie about the fate of all mutant kind and maybe use their character teams to better effect. And I realize that's what like the X-Men are supposed to do, but the X-Men are still made up of tons of individuals that have perfectly good stories to tell. 
Hopefully that's something that we figure out in Gambit. But we still have to like live through X-Men Apocalypse where it's like the it's a, X-Mansion's going to blow up and the fate of all mutant kinds going to be at the center. But it's really going to be an argument between Charles and Magneto because it's an X-Men movie. Hopefully that going forward, like, because I'm not saying that like teams are bad, but it's like in these small groupings, they bring out better things in each other that just like these huge worldwide mutant kind wide conflicts are incapable of stopping to spend the time on. And I'm hopefully like, because I don't think we're going to be done with team movies, uh, but I do think that like maybe pairing movies are going to get better. Because, like, the way that Colossus sort of comes in as a plus one, you know, even though he's, like, a tight ass in terms of morality, you know, pairing Deadpool up with Cable for the next movie, who isn't so much a tight ass in morality, but is still a tight ass, right. uh, is going to make for a good sort of thing that could lead into X-Force, which then you have two characters that have a good chemistry that could bring more characters into that chemistry. And as long as they're not constantly returning to worldwide stakes i think that's going to be a lot more manageable it's just unforeseen if they're going to have the foresight to do that so um that's that's a great uh you know segue into another pat question my last pat prompt that i will use which is that um i guess a lot of people thought that colossus looked like really like cheesy cgi um i forget what they called him in the opening credits a something CGI character. I forget. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, it took me like a day to realize what they meant by gratuitous cameo. I was like, who was the cameo? And then a day later, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's Stan Lee. I, but I was expecting it to be like someone, Hugh Hugh Jack- someone cooler than Stan Lee. Um, you know that I hate gratuitous CGI. You know that about me. And mm-hmm. I had no problem with Colossus. I thought Colossus was great. What did you think? Of how he yeah, he he's he's fine. Um, uh, I mean, he sounded comical on purpose. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about cheap looking. Uh, I mean, that's a texture that doing something that we. Uh, I'm I'm speaking like a designer, not like somebody watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it was a little cheap, uh, but it's you know fifty eight million dollar movie, and he's a completely CG character mm-hmm. uh, that is spends his entire time in broad daylight. So that's it's a risk you're going to have to take, and I'm glad they took it because the only real problem I had with uh, was when he vomited. Because I was oh like, yeah, oh I that that did look had, bad. makes me have all sorts of questions about the internal <laughs> organs of Colossus uh, that I didn't need to have at this moment. Is Colossus, when Colossus has shown up in previous, you know, we got like, I think, Teen Colossus, right, in um, earlier X-Men films. Uh, mm-hmm. Wasn't he in non-Colossus mode at some point? Like, doesn't didn't he look like a normal teenager and then sort of metal-plated himself? D- yes, am I dreaming he can, that? He yeah. Can, he can't metal-plate down. Uh, what they just did for that was uh, they just wanted him to be this huge, imposing presence all the time. So they decided to not have to hire an actor that could also act but instead just hire a giant body double well, the guy they got is i mean he looks he's a big guy <laughs> stefan yeah. uh and his accent was great i'm just mangling names all over the place i apologize um yeah so i expect i kept expecting him to like power down uh, but he never did. Okay. Uh, this la- this is the last email I'm going to read about Deadpool. And then I have a few other questions, which is it's from Alex from New Jersey. And he says, love the show. Happy it is coming back on a semi-regular basis. We are too. I was wondering if you could help lend some insight into how this X-Men universe at Fox is going to start to sync up. I know Dave has said in the past that Fox is hoping they could replace Hugh Jackman with Ryan Reynolds and Channing Tatum. However, it strikes me that the main X series is set far in the past, beginning in the 60s, jumping to the 80s in its third installment. Deadpool seems to take place in the present day, including characters with iPhones. And I haven't heard anything about when this Gambit movie is being set. Uh, That doesn't even touch the New Mutants film that just got greenlit. How do these franchises all sync up into an Avenger-style crossover? Are we five years away from Sophie Turner in age makeup? Am I just overthinking it? And that is a good question because I agree 
with Dave that the future that Fox believes the future of their franchise is Ryan Reynolds and Channing Tatum, and so far they are right. Uh, and and I mean, if you want to bet the other half of a franchise on Channing Tatum, I think you could pick a worse person. And if Sophie Turner, I mean, I think a lot of people are focusing on Sophie Turner being the future of the X Men franchise as we phase. McAvoy, because McAvoy, Fassbender, and Jennifer Lawrence, I believe their contracts are about to to go up with this last film. So I think, you know, they're intent on building this new class. But yeah, you can't really have a world where Sophie Turner uh, is in a movie with Channing Tatum and Ryan Reynolds unless you put makeup on her or you put a lot of CGI and Famke Jansen. I don't know which way is better. Uh, What would you do, Dave? (laughs) Um, I think in grand, what would I do or what do I think is going to happen? What do you think? They're two very different things. Okay. Tell me both. All right. What I think is going to happen is I think Gambit's going to get aged up in content a little bit. And then the team movies are going to be where they sort of bring the general four quadrant attempt. So like if we have another X-Men team that comes together, that is like Sophie Turner led or what have you then the team movies would be the place where maybe you get Hugh Jackman to come back and, you know, like pass it off, pass off the torch to a new group of PG-13 mutant kind warriors and then have your individual movies sort of be like um, darker or more character focused or feeding into these sort of team up movies. What I would do is just say, screw it. Just like the X-Men comics are perfectly fine doing every once in a while. And just do whatever movie is best. If you have a movie that has Sophie Turner, Channing Tatum, and Ryan Reynolds in it, and you think you can make that work, I don't care what timeline it's in. I mean, I lived through Days of Future Past, which (laughs) made a modicum of sense, but only got a pass because it did something I liked with the timeline. And like otherwise, like it, the consequences are nothing. There's no consequence. If audiences accept whatever you feed them, there's no consequence to just throwing it all into the wind and being like, your new X-Men are Deadpool, Gambit, and uh, Dupe. Um, well, right, because Cable is the future son, the son of, Jean, well, a Jean Grey clone and Scott or, and Cyclops, who was sent to the future and then comes back from the future. I mean, he's basically mm-hmm. like, I don't know, the Terminator genesis of, of X-Men characters. So if you have someone like uh, Stephen Lang, the actor Stephen Lang, who's currently, I guess, uh, lobbying to play Cable in a low-key way. Um, I mean, with time travel, with dimensions, with whatever you have in comic books, I think there's easily a way you could get Sophie Turner from the 80s to now to be in a movie with Channing Tatum and Ryan Reynolds. And in fact, I would enjoy some hilarious, like, Beastmaster goes to Los Angeles, uh, character out of time comedy from Sophie Turner being like, what is this thing and how does it work and all of that. Oh, oh, like doing an all new X-Men thing. Sorry, that's the comic book line where they bring Jean Grey, young Jean Grey forward back from the past. Great. Do it. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, let's see which of these young new X-Men stick because maybe Sophie Turner will be terrible. We don't know. But we hope not. But we also don't really like that she's doing an American accent, or I don't. Uh, you know, so let's see who among the new class is good, and then let's build a franchise around them and bring them forward in time if we need to do it. So, And Patrick Stewart will come back if you ask him until he's dead, I'm pretty sure. But Hugh Jack- He seems really into the fact that he's going to be in another <laughs> Wolverine movie. But Hugh Jackman did say that this that Old Man Logan or whatever they're doing is his last movie, right? And you you feel like if they just threw more money at him, that wouldn't be the case? Oh, I'm not sure if we could ever get Hugh Jackman. I mean, all right. Yes, I think he would do a torch passing thing. I don't think he's interested in coming back as Wolverine. I think the main thing is that, you know, every time he does one of these movies, he has to spend like seven months never eating anything that he ever wants and working out every day, all day. And, like, that's going to wear down on an old man. I don't think it's like he has, like, (laughs) he's like, fuck these movies. I want to do something else. I used to be a sing, dance, song and dance man. Oh, he's still a song and dance man in my heart. It's almost like you didn't see Pan. It's almost like that. I did see Pan, unfortunately. (laughs) I also did. Um, No, 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 I hear you. That that Hugh Jackman's like, listen, 
How about I go from a six pack to a four pack? I'm older now. I deserve it. Leave me alone. Let- or just if you do a movie that's about Sophie Turner gets pulled forward in the future X-Men thing because things have gone to shit and, you know. And Wolverine gets yeah. to keep his shirt on the whole time. Yeah. Or just like gets to lay down the whole time. <laughs> and, you know, Pat- Patrick, oh, like Patrick Stewart's Stewart, already in that yeah. wheelchair. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Uh, my other Deadpool question is, well, I mean, we didn't say this. I would give the movie a B plus, and I'm excited. I'm going to see it again this weekend at the Alamo in San Francisco with beers and a good friend. So I'm hoping that that will maybe rocket it up to an A minus. Uh, but in in the half empty theater, uh, I give it a B plus. Dave, what do you give Deadpool? Um, I'm going to slot it more enjoyable than Ant Man but less enjoyable than Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, I think that's definitely where it belongs. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, this <laughs> My next question is is a prompt from our Storm of Spoilers cohort, Neil Miller, who called the film a feminist. And I don't think that's as hilarious a proposition as some people, as some of our colleagues seem to think. But um, I certainly think that this film took steps to avoid some... Uh, casual sexism that we see in superhero films. I really liked that, you know, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Yeah, I get that right every time. Mm-hmm. And Angel are there, you know, to just sort of even it out. This is a character. Those are characters that could be guys, but they're girls. So whatever. And then Vanessa, even though she's depowered and quite damseled for a bit of the movie, is more interesting than, than, Almost any other, like more, definitely more interesting than Amy Adams' Lois Lane. Like more interesting than most superhero girlfriends. Um, yes. So that's my. I thing. agree. Yeah. Well, fe- the feminism thing is equality, right? Exactly. And so I, I feel like both sexes were treated equally here. I I, I think that's most thing, uh, the, mostly the thing, true. Yeah. The only thing that makes me hesitant, and it really shouldn't, because it's so meta to this goddamn meta movie is how much fun Gina Carano looks like she wasn't having at Comic-Con this year. Where everybody's like, the fun set was fun. We joked around. It was great. And she's like, everybody was making fun of me all the time. And I still I still feel for that, like, watching this movie. I'm like, oh, did you just, just make fun of her one boob scene for, like, every scene she was in? Oh, that I really liked that scene, by the way. Um, that was a great scene. It was a great scene because her costume is so preposterous. And then it's like, of course, boobs should pop out of those costumes all the time. Um, and the way it was framed with, with a Colossus' hand was really great. Um, I was at that panel, and I don't even remember Gina Carano saying that. Um, so I feel less sensitive than you are. You're a more sensitive well, person. Well, I mean, you had the, the group think around you on the... The pool of Deadpool High. I, d- I was on a Deadpool High in Hall H. That is true. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. It's equ- it's about equality. And so, uh, you know, okay, like, you know, if, if the men are at 10 in this movie, I would say the women are at 8. And usually they're at 6 at best. So I would say it's closer to what we would want from a film like this. Vanessa sure. is damseled, and and you might say like, well, someone has to be dam. I'm hoping that um, God, what's Chris Pine's character's name? Steve Trevor is that his name? Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have two first names. It's it's too boring. Anyway, Steve Trevor. I hope he gets damsels damseled in the Wonder Woman movie. You know, that's that's on the way to equality, right? Because women have been damseled, tied to train tracks, stuck in glass coffins on top of collapsing helicarriers for way too long and you know so if if steve trevor gets tied to a railroad track i I wouldn't complain that's true this movie does do as much as it can structurally to make wade wanting to look better the main focus for as long as possible though which is uh usually what women care about Oh, no, I'm just saying before the damseling begins. Yeah, yeah. It's not like the whole thing's like, I need to save the oh, girl. yes, yes. It's like, I need to look better. Yes. 
So that she'll love me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and I really like her reaction when he shows up and how angry she is, which is how she should be. And all that is really great. Uh, I would also trade 50% TJ Miller for 50% more blind Al. No, I love TJ Miller. Um, I mean, not gone entirely, but just like keep him at the bar and keep blind Al doing the other things. Um, I was talking to our colleague, uh, our fighting worm colleague, David Ehrlich, about uh, this movie. He, and he was, you know, what I said to David, and if you've ever listened to, to Fighting the War Room, you know this, there's no way in the world David was ever going to like this movie. I mean, almost, because he likes <laughs> he likes Kingsman. So, like, there maybe was some alternate universe where David Ehrlich might like Deadpool. But, but I think you can lay pretty good odds that he was going to hate Deadpool. And... Um, so I was talking to him about it before I had seen it, and he told me that um, that Vanessa goes from being a stripper to being, or no, from being a hooker to being a sad stripper. But he was wrong because she was a sad cocktail waitress in a strip club, which is a huge difference. So I was, I was sitting there in the theater bracing myself for that scene when they walk into the strip club for her to like be on the pole, and I was mm. like, so the fact that she was not on the pole made me happy that's that's a low bar i know to clear but that's those are the low expectations that david Ehrlich set up for me so there you go <laughs> <laughs> so deadpool is kind of feminist is eight eight to eight tenths feminist i mean certainly not sexist i would say sure. on it's more feminist than superhero movies usually are definitely yes the Happy International Women's Day gag was fantastic. I agree. Also, our friend Scott Beggs uh, wrote a piece over, or I don't know if he's your friend, he's my friend. My friend Scott Beggs wrote a piece over on VanityFair.com today about uh, the, the queerness of Deadpool, uh, the bisexuality of Deadpool, and how it's kind of a thing in the comics, and how whether or not he's paying lip service, Ryan Reynolds said he would be open to... Deadpool having a, you know, male love interest in the sequel or something like that. Um, I, like, since they've made the Vanessa Wade dynamic so important, I I really don't see that happening. But, you know, I did like stuff like the international, uh, more, certainly more sexually fluid than anything we've seen from a superhero before, I think. And, um, you know, from the uh, International Women's Day joke or... um, the closing credits when the cartoon Deadpool like got the most excited about Ed Screen's name, uh, et cetera. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about the homosexuality or not of Deadpool? I don't think they'll give him a male love interest, but I, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that there's some sort of male, male threesome consensual situation that makes a third male awkward, like a cable or a Wolverine. Right. That'd be funny. If, Everybody's coming on to Hugh Jackman. <laughs> um, I was gonna say if anyone would be open to like a threesome or polyamory or whatever, it would be it would be Vanessa, right? So, like, I really do think they're gonna keep the Vanessa Wade relationship, especially because uh, you know Marina background was so great. Um, I think they're gonna keep that a thing. But you know, if 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 that couple wants to experiment with a third, and that third happens to be do- a dude, I don't see Wade having any sort of gay panic about it, which is you know, more than he could ever say for Cap or Tony Stark or any of these other heroes that we've seen. So that's right. All right. Anything else Deadpool related we want to talk about? Do you want to talk about X-Force? I don't know. I mean, we don't know that much about it. It's going to be it's going to be a team up movie. I would imagine Uh, Jeff Wadlow wrote a draft of the script right after he wrote Kick-Ass Right after he'd started directing Kick-Ass 2. Uh, but that's the last I heard about it. And that uh, character lineup will probably be switched to be more Deadpool cable focused. So I would... Um, hmm. It all depends on what lesson they take from Deadpool. And if they take the, they need as much Deadpool as possible, I would look for X-Force actually to hit before Deadpool 2 because they at least have like a script basis that they could start from that right now if they really want to rush Deadpool. Um, and then Deadpool 2 could be more cable-centric. Right. But that seems like a lot. Ryan Reynolds says they're in a draft of Deadpool 2. Like they're writing it, so... 
Right. But if they use the Wadlow X-Force draft and just push in Deadpool, assuming that draft was functional in some sort of way, you've got that lineup sort of ready to go. All right. Assuming it's a good movie. And do you think the Channing Tatum Gambit, like, does this make you feel more positive about a Channing Tatum Gambit? Or, or it doesn't affect your thoughts about that at all because it's a different creative team. Um, this one is such it. It was such like a one for us in like the system. It's like there's all this leaked footage and leaked script, and then the fans sort of demanded it, and they're like, "Here's like a tiny amount of money. Go like figure it out." That uh, I don't think Gambit soon enough to take the correct lessons from Deadpool. I'm worried about it still. Okay. I'm worried they're going to be like, well, we can't have an R-rated character at the head of our X-Men team, so this better fucking work for everybody. And that could be really bad for Gambit. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm open and curious about Gambit. Uh, I'll have a lot of faith in Channing Tatum, but maybe not all the faith in the world in what people have done with Gambit on screen before? Question mark. All right. Anything else we want to talk about? Comic? Texas forever. <laughs> Texas forever. Anything else we want to talk about? Oh, man. Anything else happened? I feel like a lot of stuff happened, but maybe... No? I think we're good. Deadpool made... King, King Shark next week on Flash. On Flash. Dead, yeah. Deadpool made all the money. I think that's what happened. That did. And then it's like, we don't know necessarily how that's going to make everything else shake out, but it was a weird year for this to be the hit this early on, I think. Because it's like, uh, it's it's too late for Warner Brothers to pull back on its gritty commitment to spamming the screen with as many characters and recognizable <laughs> plot points as possible. And I think Marvel is going to sidestep it because what they think they've done with the Punisher in Netflix season two is very similar to what 20th Century Fox did with Deadpool, which is give people a version that they recognize. And if that could play out for a season, I think Marvel will be able to dodge this bomb and just be like, Civil War is something else. This is where we play with all our big toys. And it's good to have something else. Like, not everything should then be a co- like a carbon copy of Deadpool. Absolutely. I do wonder if they're gonna if they're gonna recut Suicide Squad to put more humor in. Because Suicide Squad is our well. What is Suicide Squad rated? PG thirteen. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna bump Suicide Squad up to R. And I think that. If anything, Suicide Squad is the thing that I'm most confident in right now. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm quite well. I'm excited for parts of Suicide Squad. I'm excited for Margot Robbie and Suicide Squad, basically. That's mostly it. Um, but I, I am intrigued. Batman v Superman, I just, I mean, if I could get away with not seeing it, I would. It's going to be terrible, guys. Uh- <laughs> Just, no, come on. Maybe it's a maybe it's a bunch of fun. No, didn't something get an R rating today? Uh, was it the Wolverine movie? Oh, uh, Wolverine three. They've started putting on promotional materials that they anticipate an R rating. I mean the the concept art I believe I saw at Comic Con was Wolverine's fist with just the sink the middle claw raised. So. Right. You know, I feel like they weren't going for anything remotely squeaky. But I was listening to the Empire podcast uh, had a spoiler special, Deadpool spoiler special, uh, with a brief uh, interview with Ryan Reynolds. Their spoiler specials are, are always great. I think I've talked about them on here before. But um, they did mention that, I guess, the end of Wolverine um had had like a fight sequence that everyone just thought was really laughable because they couldn't show any blood and if they could have shown blood uh then maybe that film would have been as hated as it was uh so yeah i mean i think there are movies superhero movies that could benefit just from the freedom that deadpool might have given them but uh, you know i think we all agree with james gunn whose take was hey the point is not to make a deadpool the point is to make a movie you're passionate about i think that's a fair summary of what he said like this is this the story this is the story we should take from this not let's make a carbon copy of deadpool but let's expand our boundaries of of what we think audiences might respond to 
Well, I'm worried because this version of Wolverine, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine isn't a Wolverine that needs to be R. Like everything that I would want from a Wolverine, a R-rated movie is wouldn't jive with what the, the character has been on screen. Um, I think that'd be a weird leap to take it to as cool as it would be to finally see like feral assassin Wolverine, like the character was always promised to be that like Wolverine three is too late to do that. I think. Right. Um, okay. So these are our Deadpool thoughts. We, we thought them and we shared them with you. So our next, uh, scheduled thought bubble is March 9th. Because the Daredevil premiere is March 10th. I will be gone the day after that. So yeah, it's Wednesday, March 9th. We'll be back. I I believe we'll both have seen some Daredevil at that point. Um, We'll make that work. So that we'll be able to talk about some Daredevil. Um, And I'm excited. I'm really excited. We saw a Daredevil trailer uh, that was Punisher focused. Um, We're going to see another part of it that's probably Elektra focused. Yeah, part two definitely is going to be Elektra. Uh, I I got really excited by Elodie Elodie Young's like one line as Electra. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like you already so much. Um, yeah, so we will we will be talking more about about Daredevil March 9th when we return, or March tenth, I guess, when the pod drops. So, thanks for listening. Bye.